I want you to turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to start reading verse 1. Now, let me say this from the onset. I don't know when I have had more consternation. What a word, huh? About ministering something, teaching something, I have this. Uh, I've done it in years past. But back in September, I felt the Lord drop this in my heart and tell me that I was going to have to do this again. And here we are in November, and we're going to do this again. And it's been many, many, many years since I've done this. And so most of you probably will not even remember anything that I had done before anywhere close to this topic. But this is what I know. God doesn't operate through intimidation. God doesn't operate through fear. And so when I realized that every time I come up against this, I would back off of it. It was through intimidation and fear. I knew this wasn't of God. That's of the enemy. He doesn't want me to say what needs to be said today or in the next few weeks here. And so today, let's read this this, uh, portion of scripture here real quick. Just five verses and they're very short. And it says this, Luke chapter 17, verse one, he said to disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Y'all don't like that, do you? And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Verse five. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So for the next little bit today, just a few minutes, and then in the coming weeks, I want to minister this thought, this topic, and I believe this is going to prepare us for what's coming next, for what we need to get ready for, and for the blessings that God is getting ready to shower down on this house. Here's a simple thought. Satan's nuclear option. Satan's nuclear option. It is no argument that the disciples during the time of Jesus, around Jesus, witnessed one of the most overwhelming displays of miraculous power that they had ever seen to date as far as human history. Even through all of the workings of the prophets that they had had in their history, that Israel had, excuse me, whatever that word is, written out in history, they had never seen a display of power like they saw with Jesus. But let me also say they had never seen such a display of love either, like never before. And so, in fact, Scripture even states that if all of the books at that moment were assembled and every miracle that Jesus did was written in them, those books could not contain everything Jesus did. That is an impressive statement to say the least, and, and, and to think about that kind of claim that, wait a minute, all the books that were written, because understand, they were, man, they were all about their writings, they were all about their knowledge, and they were all about this information that they had, and they were discovering it faster and faster, and if all the books were written about the miracles of Jesus, there wasn't enough paper in the universe to contain them or give witness to them. 
But now, I want you to grab the hold of this, is that it was not this display of power. It wasn't the raising of the dead or the blinded eyes open. It wasn't the limbs growing back to, to, uh, to complete healing and complete length and strength. Uh, it wasn't any of those things that caused the disciples to ask for more faith. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if somebody came down here today and had a, had a withered hand and we prayed for them and it straightened out, I would be saying, woo-hoo, right? God, give me more faith like that, right? I'd be begging God for more faith. Who would not? Be like, yeah, we got to have that every Sunday. We put a tent outside. We happen to come to the tent meeting to get your miracle, right? That's the way we think. But the disciples, that wasn't what, asked, what created this hunger for more faith in them. That wasn't what did it. Here's what created the hunger for more faith in the disciples. It was the commandment to forgive another person that sins against you. Amen. And he said, even if it happens seven times in a day, forgive Anyway, that is what caused them to ask for more faith. The simple commandment to forgive anyone who wrongs you. Now, why would that prompt a request for more faith? Here's why. Eric offended me. I'm not forgiving him. He didn't ask. I knew it was going to get tight in here. Y'all ready? God, I got 21 minutes, 46, 45, 44. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. It is one of the enemy's most deadly and deceptive traps. In fact, it imprisons countless Christians, thousands, hundreds, maybe millions of Christians to the point to where it severs relationships and it, it widens the gaps that we have between us. And it is called the trap of offense. The scripture we read said temptations, but that word temptation actually means offense. Have we ever lived in a time where more people are more offended than right now? We get up in the morning, we drive down the road, and by the first stop sign, we're offended at somebody. <laughs> Are we not? Let's just be real about it. But here's the thing. The, we, we call it the trap of offense, but for a trap to be successful, it has to have two ingredients, two elements. And one is, number one, it has to be hidden. A trap that is not hidden is not a trap at all. And so it has to be hidden. And then the second thing is it has to have some kind of bait. And it is one of the most used. And again, what I have liked to title it as it is Satan's nuclear option against the church and against the people of God. And that is the trap of offense. And here's why it's a trap. Because most offended people have no idea that they've been trapped. Their denial, or, or denial, should, you, should we say, is their MO. 
They deny it and then their fruit, watch this, after the denial, their fruit is hurt and it's anger and it's bitterness and it's jealousy and it's resentment and it's hatred and it's strife. And then once they have become offended, they pick up things like insults and attacks and wounding, broken relationships, betrayal, and ultimately they backslide from a walk with God. In fact, John Brevere said it like this. So many are snared in this deceptive trap that we almost come to believe it is a normal way of life. When have we ever seen our nation or witnessed our nation in such a place of offense than we are right now? People hate cops. Cops hate other people. It's just this constant bitter thing that's happening and it's, it's a never-ending cycle. And, and in fact, he goes on to say with this statement that offense is rampant from a lack of genuine love. We don't love each other anymore, do we? Because if I truly loved you, Philip, there's nothing you're gonna be able to do That's going to offend me because the love of God is in me and God doesn't get offended with anything other than sin. Y'all uncomfortable yet? Thank you because I'm very uncomfortable right now. (laughs) Offense is huge. But David, King David laments it this way in Psalm 55 verse 12. He says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me. Then I could hide from it. But it is you, oh man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house as we walked in the throng. So what's David saying? The offense comes from those we sit with, we sing with. Perhaps offense comes from the very guy who's speaking to you right now. Me. We spend holidays together. We attend social functions. And, and, and perhaps you, you probably act, share an office with someone who's offended you. Perhaps you've offended them. Maybe it's even closer than that. It's someone that we grew up with, confided in. Or maybe, just maybe, it's the person we sleep next to every night. The closer the relationship, the more severe the offense can be. In fact... It's been said that you find the greatest hatred among people who were once the closest. You see, selfishness reigns in our society. And, and men and women today, they, they, they look out for themselves to the neglect of hurt of those around them. They don't really care what someone else is feeling, what someone else is experiencing. I just think I'm right, and that's the end of it. This shouldn't surprise us because the Bible is very clear that in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. Oh, I thought that was talking about the gays. You study just a little bit more. I just defended somebody on Facebook land with that statement, by the way. No. Lovers of themselves, meaning that that we're selfish. 
I'm looking out for number one. I'm looking out for me. I don't care what you've got to deal with. I don't care what you're going through. I want mine and I want it now. J.G. Wetworth. You see, we expect this of unbelievers, don't we? We expect this of people who don't come to church on a weekly basis. We expect this from people who have no real affiliation with a relationship or God or with the church. But what I want you to understand, Paul was not referring to those that were outside the church. In this passage in 2 Timothy 3, 2, he was actually speaking about the church. Men shall be lovers of themselves. He's talking about those within it. Tons of people are wounded. Tons of people are hurt. Tons of people become bitter. Why? Because they're offended. And what they don't realize is that they've fallen into a trap. And so the question we automatically ask each other is, well, whose fault is this? Well, if, if the church would just get itself right. No. Well, if that preacher would just stop saying what he's saying. No. No, because Jesus made it very clear that it was impossible to live your life without some kind of offense coming up. King James Version says it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And yet most Christians were shocked and were bewildered, were completely caught off guard when it happens in the church. And here's what's crazy. When that offense takes place, we take on the mindset that we are the only ones who have been wronged. And this leaves us vulnerable to the root of bitterness. And what's crazy about the root of bitterness, people, please understand me. When someone becomes offended... And the root of bitterness takes place. The Bible says, beware of the root of bitterness that it spring up and defile many. Bitterness never stays isolated to itself. It always recruits help. Always. It always recruits help. And can I tell you, I think the church ought to fear the root of bitterness more than we fear COVID-19. It spreads faster. Than COVID-19. There must we we therefore we've got to be prepared for this. As a church, we've got to be armed. Why? Because our response to offense determines our future. I don't think you heard that. Our response to an offense will determine our future. The Greek word for offend. As King James Version talks about offenses will come in Luke 17, it, it, it comes from the word called scandalon. The word originally referred to as the part of the trap that has the bait, that holds the bait within it. And it, it, it basically what this word signifies is that this trap is laid in someone's way. There's also another translation that calls it a stumbling block. In fact, Paul instructed, now here's what's crazy. Let me say this first, offense is the tool that brings people into captivity. Now watch this, 2 Timothy 2, 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here's something about an offended person that lives an offended life. They are always quarrelsome and they're always in opposition to someone else. 
They can't go a month without having an argument with somebody. And Scripture is telling you and I, we cannot be quarrelsome. God, give me the courage. Oh, boy. Some of you just need to delete your social media accounts. You're way too offensive. You're constantly arguing with people about Trump, about Biden, or whatever it is. You call Trump a racist, and you call uh, Biden a socialist, and and it just, the, the nastiness never stops. And yet, Scripture tells us you and I are not supposed to be that way. You don't know Trump, and you don't know Biden. You think you know, but you're only preaching or re-preaching a narrative that you've been told. And it is filled and laced with offense. That preaching will get you fired. What's even more alarming about this this trap is that the people who are trapped are unaware of their captivity. And just like the prodigal son who finally came, came to an, an awareness of who he was and what he had become, so must the person that is caught in the trap of offense. They have to realize that, that spring water and salt water cannot come out of the same well. And if you're on Facebook spewing your vinegar and spewing your salty comments, uh, how in the world are you going to have time to spew the gospel? I'm offending you right now? Okay. But now here's the thing. No matter what the scenario, we can divide offended people into two major categories. One, those who have been treated unfairly or unjustly, and those who believe they've been treated unjustly. And the people in the second category believe with all their hearts that they have been wronged. And often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information, or it's accurate information, but they've come to a conclusion that is distorted. Either way, I want you to understand something. Offended people are hurt. The hurt is real. But it's a real hurt based on false premise. You see, pride moves in. And the only way a person can can stay offended is that they keep the offense hidden. And they cloak it with pride. And pride will keep you from admitting your true condition as a person, as an individual. You're saying, oh, here's, here's, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Right? I did this the other day. I walked up to a preacher's uh, prayer session out at SRP Park. Several of us preachers every Thursday get together at 8 o'clock in the morning. And, and we pray for our city. We pray for each other. And I walked up and I was feeling really rough around the edges. And I was, and I, I needed that prayer moment. And then, as soon as I walked up, hey, Pastor Jason, how you feeling? I said, oh, I'm good. Then they started talking. I said, I'm sorry. I'm not good. And they all looked at me. I said, oh God. I said, man, I've got this going on and I've got this going on and I've got this going on. And I told you I'm good, but I'm not good. I'm hurting, man. I'm in a mess. I, man, this was said about me. This was done against me. And this, oh my God. And, and this was happening in our church and that's not happening in our church. And I just, I just put it all out there because why? I didn't want pride to cloak 
my offense. And when we live in such a way to we allow pride to cloak our offense, it, 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 it hides the sin. In fact, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When can you and I ever get back to the place where, Tammy, I'm not afraid to come to you and say, man, I'm sorry, but something you said, oh my God, that messed me up. Or Eric, I don't like your shoes, man. When can we ever get back to that place of honesty to where, Ryan, I can share with you, my heart's hurting. I heard this about me from somebody. or I, I saw this on social media. Help me, brother, get over this. Yeah. Help me get over it. You see, when we cloak it in pride, it keeps us from having a changed heart and therefore we don't repent because pride always views itself as a victim. Our attitude becomes, I was mistreated and I was misjudged. Therefore, I am justified in my behavior. And because you believe you're innocent and falsely accused, you hold back forgiveness. It's, it's kind of like this. Eric, come here. Come here. I'm sorry, but your arms and pecs offend me. You're, <laughs> I'm really jealous right now. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, bro. I, did I offend you just now? I, I, you know, okay, good. You and your Bible emergency numbers, okay. Um, what do you need a Bible for when you got arms like that? I just, <laughs> but anyway, um, but now here's how it works. I offend you. You don't tell me. You walk away. You disappear. And then because of your offense, you now spew words about me that now offend me. And I don't come to you and tell you. So what happens? The cycle just continues. And so I end up blurting it out to someone else who then tells you. And the offense happens again. And next thing you know, we are in a prison cell with four walls, a roof, and no door and no window. Because the cycle of offense just happens. You see what I'm getting at there? Thank you, buddy. And by the way, you're a man's man. You're good. You're good. Just because you were mistreated, you do not have permission to hold on to an offense. If you do, show me in Scripture and we'll change our message. What did Mama used to say? T-wrongs don't make a right, son. Yeah. So what is the cure? Here's, here, let's, let's tie all this up real quick. What is the cure? The book of Revelation addressed the church of Laodicea by first telling them how they saw themselves. He said that you think you're rich, you think you're wealthy, and you think you have need of nothing. But then Jesus goes on in his word to the church in that letter to expose really what was going on in that church. And he said this, you're not rich, you're not wealthy, and you, you have need of a lot because you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the Laodicean church they had mistaken. Now watch this. this. This is a message for America. Watch this. They had mistaken their financial strength for spiritual strength. And if I have ever seen something that was so hidden in pride, 
It is us believing that one man in America, because we are financially sound or were prior to pandemic, is all of a sudden spiritual. I got to be careful that I'm still in a Republican state. Do you understand what I'm saying? We can mistake our financial strength for spiritual strength. And I've seen many a church grow in thousands and thousands and thousands only to have a pastor removed with so much scandal underneath his ministry. We have to be careful. Financial strength does not equal spiritual strength. Pride hides the true condition. And therefore, souls end up starving. Watch this. Souls will end up starving in the midst of abundance. Let me quickly close. I got three minutes, 15 seconds. You see, their eyes in the Laodicean church could not see. They could see the riches of this life, but they could not see the lacking in their own souls. And Jesus told them how to get out of this deceptive state in which they lived. He said this, to buy gold of me, to buy gold of me refined in the fire. Now watch this. Refined gold is actually soft and it's pliable. When it's free of corrosion and it's free of any other substance, gold is very soft But yet when it gets mixed with other metals such as copper, iron, and nickel, and and so on, it becomes hard and it becomes less pliable. And actually, gold becomes corrosive at that moment. In fact, they call the mixture alloy. And the higher percentage of foreign metals, foreign things, outside of gold, the harder gold becomes. Do you see the parallel? The more pure that our heart is, the more soft we are, the less offensive we become, the less offended we become because we're soft. But the the more of outside alien materials, if you will, that comes into our life and into our heart, the harder our heart becomes and the more offensive and more offended we become. Is this okay? Is this okay? Hebrews 3.13 actually tells us that It's the the deceitfulness of sin that creates a hardened heart. And if we don't deal with the offenses in our life, it's going to produce more fruit of sin like bitterness and anger and resentment. In fact, Galatians 5.19 goes on to say, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, uh, rivalries, uh, dissensions and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, and as I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These added sins into our hearts create a hard heart. But now, what is God telling us to do? He says, buy gold from me. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to stop buying into the world's narrative. And we as a church need to set the narrative. Buy gold from him. What's he saying? Lean into me, not into your political system. 
Lean into me, not into the social economical ills of your world. Lean into me, not into the racial tensions of this world, but lean into my spirit. I will soften the hearts of men and women once the sin is removed. But now, I want you to, I want you to look at this. Oh, I gotta hurry. Y'all, y'all stand real quick. Y'all stand, stand. That'll help me hurry. Watch this. So how do we get the impurities out of our heart? There is a system, and boy, I am shortchanging this message in a big way, but there's a, there's a system that you can do to gold. You put it in some fiery, fiery hot furnace, right? And there's this thing, uh, this substance called flux that you put into it. And what ends up happening is the flux in, in intense heat will separate from the gold and rise to the top. But as it's rising, it pulls out the impurities with it out of the gold. And then what somebody will do is come through with a, uh, a sift of some sort. Uh, um, I forgot what they call it. You, you women have them. Strainer of sort. Is that right? A strainer? Man, I just cook Pop-Tarts. That's, that's all I know. That's, and you, you skim it off the top. And you pour it out. And what you're left with is pure gold at the bottom. So, understanding that it takes an intense furnace. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Oh, how many's upset that COVID-19 happened? Go ahead, be honest. I am ticked. Things were going good. Church was going really good. In fact, just before COVID-19, I just received the blueprints and plans for another sanctuary. 704 seats of beauty. Octagon style. Massive stage with a perfect green room in the back. Aisles that would just make you just, oh, wow. Want to run and shout and jump in them. A, a, not a mobile baptistry, but a full-time dedicated baptistry. A coffee shop to make Starbucks wish they had what we had. It was amazing. Bathrooms with not four or five stalls, but 10 or 15. So we could all sit in there and read the paper. (laughs) I'm mad. I'm angry. But behold, I've refined you not as silver, but I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. And then in Peter 1 and 6, he, he tells us, he said, In this you greatly rejoice, thou know for a little while, you may, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? That intense fire that I'm putting you through, I am drawing off the impurities from your spirit. Amen. That offense... That had to happen? It's drawing impurities off of your spirit. Well, how do you know that it's actually doing it? Here's how you know. If you're still in the church and you haven't left, you're allowing the impurities to pull them off of you. But if you're upset and you're mad, I'm going to go find another church. You're just allowing the impurities to stay attached to you and harden your heart even more. You see, 
God refines with afflictions and trials and tribulations. And it's the heat that separates those things from our life. That unforgiveness, that strife, and that bitterness, the anger, and all that stuff that we're upset about. I can't stand this election. I can't stand what's going on in my house. My wife, she she never pays attention to me. My husband, all he does is deer hunt. You see, sin easily hides where there's no heat of trials and afflictions. Let me say this. In times of prosperity and success, even a wicked man will seem kind and generous. But you let the heat get put on them. And they start to... And they get sideways and they get offensive and they get offended. And I, I'm going to tell you something, sadly to report, but during this time of election, during this time of COVID-19, we have seen the church get nasty. Why don't we stop getting nasty and get prayerful? I offended 60% of you with that. So let me ask you something. I'm going to end it with this. It's time for us to see our true condition. It's time to see us for who we've become. And I'm pleased to announce, if you're here right now under the sound of my voice, or you're watching online right now, and for whatever reason you're not here, and it could be anything, job, it could be sickness, it could be whatever. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're just fearful because you just don't, you know, the whole thing that we're going through. Whatever it is, if you're hearing my words right now, There's hope. You're still breathing. You're still here. You're still serving. You're still giving it everything you got. And I want, I want to tell you that the stuff we're going through, God is purifying us. You say, but yeah, I don't understand. Why do these things happen? Why does offense come? Let me read this real quick. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order for those who are genuine among you to be recognized. Did you hear what Paul was telling the Corinthian church? He said, you want to know why people are getting offended among you and walking out? So that the ones who are left are considered the genuine. He's saying that the trials are purifying us. This struggle with COVID is purifying us. This struggle with offense in our country right now is purifying us. It's causing the church to do what? To get back to her knees and get before a holy God and saying, God, the most holy thing I can do right now is not fight my brother, not fight my sister, not get on social media and spew my rhetoric. But the most holy thing I can do is not fight with this, but fight with this. And my challenge to us today is let's get rid of the offense. Let's let it go. Let's put it down. And let's get back on our knees and pray to a holy God that is getting ready to come back for his church. And here's the kicker. He's coming for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. Church, time to get the heat out, the iron out, and get the impurities off of our dress.